Well, again, uh, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and uh, it really is a delight to be able to be back together. There was something about last Sunday that was fun and adventurous in some ways, and then we started having to shovel snow, and the adventure and fun kind of went away, and uh, no, it was still that, but it is, uh, I really missed, I missed being here with, with all of you, and so it is, it is a great delight to be here, uh, and also knowing that some of you who still can't be here, you're viewing uh, over live stream, or maybe you're going to catch this in a podcast later on in a couple weeks or something. We are extremely glad that there are different ways that many people can connect uh, with God through what he is doing in our midst here, so, so thank you for being willing to do that. Um, with that, let's, let's pray. God, I give you thanks um, that even for all the things we do, God, and, and we try to make things happen, and sometimes they don't, and, uh, and all of our best efforts, God, don't, don't always get us there, but you are faithful. God, in all things, you are faithful. You are the one who completes the work you start. You are the one who initiates and woos and, and draws us to you. God, and you, you pursue us and pursue us. God, I'm so thankful for your faithfulness this morning. Uh, so I pray that we would lean into that. God, whether we are feeling like, I, I almost believe so much, I'm kind of terrified of how much I believe. I'm, I'm a little bit scared about the, the steps of faith I'm willing to take, or whether we're on the other side and it's like, I don't even know if I can give a thought towards God today. God, I pray we would find you faithful in all those things. So come and be with us and lead and and speak and engage with us uh, this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for a little while, we are in uh, week five of a series called One Brick at a Time, where we're going through the book of Nehemiah. And what I wanted to do is, before we get into the stuff I want to look at today, is I want to give a a little bit of a recap, because this book really does build. There's a story that unfolds. Um, Right at the beginning of this, we found out um, that... Israel is in captivity in Babylon, uh, and that this story is really about Israel being released from that and going back, uh, back home, rebuilding the city and rebuilding their lives and their culture. And it starts with, uh, in this book, starts with this guy named Nehemiah, who we learn is what's called a cupbearer to the king, which is sort of this uh, high but not so great position, uh, because what it means is you're testing all the food that the king's going to eat to see if it's poisoned or not. Uh, and so uh, he has a unique relationship with the king, uh, but it might not always be one that you want. Uh, but he hears from some friends of his who are from back home. He's talking with them, and he asks, how's it going back home? And they say, it's actually going awful. It is going horribly. The, the, the wall is torn down. The gates are torn down. The city's in ruins. And Nehemiah goes into this time of mourning and this time of prayer and, uh, and, and has this moment where he decides, I just can't let that be, right? I've, I've got to do something about that. There's something stirring in me that I, I can't ignore that. And so he goes to the king. The king asks, why are you so down? Which uh, you, we were told you never go into the king's presence looking down because the king's got more important things to deal with in the cupbearer's moods. Uh, and so lots of times if you went into the king's presence like that, you would be executed, uh, which is harsh, but that's how they worked it, I guess. Uh, so, but the king mercifully said, hey, what's up? And he told him, and, and, and then Nehemiah says, and I want to go back and, and rebuild the city, uh, and, and remembering that this is the king who, you know, is, is overseeing them in his own 
land, like, okay, now you're my enemy, so I took captive and I brought you here, and now you're asking to, to go back and rebuild your city, I think most kings would go, it sounds a little shady, uh, I don't really like that idea about my enemies going back and rebuilding their city, uh, but the king says, sure, sounds great, uh, and then Nehemiah says, and I also want you to kind of fund it, uh, I need some money and I need safe passage back and I need letters from people to, the king's like, that sounds awesome, um, and so he goes and does that. He gets back, and he starts encountering some opposition. This is in chapter 2 where we encounter this reality that we need God for everything. Not just when it gets difficult, but certainly in those times. But we absolutely need God for this very breath that I'm going to take, for this next word that I'm going to speak, for the next thought I'm going to think, for this next interaction I'm going to have, whatever it may be. We need God for every single thing. And we were challenged. Would we have the courage to participate fully in the things that God has called us to, whether it's hard or difficult, but would we have the courage to keep participating with God in those things? In chapter 3, we discovered that this project of God's, which is symbolized in this rebuilding of the wall, but it's really rebuilding the people, which is symbolic of God's whole work of rebuilding, reconciling, and restoring creation, that it's going to take all of us, that each individual, every single person has a key role in that project whether they know it or not. And we kind of question, do we, do we believe that? Do we see that both for ourselves and for the people around us? Are there people who in your mind you look at and go, mm, maybe not. Actually, I don't see you being involved. This isn't kind of your kind of project. I don't really see how that's possible for you to be part of God's project, his work of reconciling, of bringing back, of building up. So do we see and believe that for ourselves and for others? And then we moved into Nehemiah 4 and 5 where we saw some really amazing things. Uh, you know, this, uh, in chapter 3, how we learned that it, it required all of us was that there were names of different people who helped rebuild this wall. And it said, and this person who was a perfume maker did it. And then this person next to them who was this job, they did it. And it was this whole big group project. And there's this really good feels coming out of that. And then we went right into this section where we discovered that in order for the people to live there, they were having to pay a lot of money for food. And there were some people, some of the Israelites, who were uh, enforcing really harsh debts on uh, their, their fellow Israelites, people who had just worked together on this wall, uh, enforcing them so much that it was, it was even at times forcing people to sell their children to pay off their debts. So it's like this, one of these early examples of human trafficking uh, that we see. And Nehemiah steps in and said, this is absolutely not okay. And basically it has this feel of, do you not remember yesterday? Like we were all working on this wall together. It was great. What happened? But he says, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, it has to stop. This, this is not allowable. We can't do this. And then he goes on to say, and, and I had all these benefits from being in this position of leadership, but I didn't accept any of those, and I passed those benefits on to people in need. And so we have this moment where we're in this weird cycle where it's like, okay, so we had all these people working together and it felt really good and cool. Then we had these people like really turning on each other and extracting huge payments out of people and not being merciful and kind. And then Nehemiah goes back and all of a sudden is merciful and kind and it just feels this push and pull and right and wrong and back and forth. And one of the things that Ben did so well was he walked us all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, took us through the Bible and showed that that's the cycle that humanity's been in for a long time starting back with Adam and Eve and humanity deciding you know what 
God's great, but I'm going to decide for myself what's right and wrong. I'm going to go on that path on my own and distancing ourselves from God and then God working a way for us to come back and then the people moving away again and God working a way for us to come back and constantly over and over and we encountered this reality of people moving away from God and God's faithfulness to continue to bring people back. And one of the things that Ben pointed out really nicely was that what's needed in this is not just a new set of rules. It's not just a a new list of things or challenges or boxes to check off, but what's needed is a heart change. And that that heart change can only come by apprenticing ourselves to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who showed up, lived our life, and, and the way it should have been lived, and died our death for our sake, and lived this life and mastered life in, in a sense, that, that showed up and said, this is how life is supposed to be lived in every way, shape, form, follow me, do what I do. And that when we do that, we experience a heart change. But the, the thing was, and the, the thing that was really interesting about that was that Ben said, so that's all great on paper. We can kind of write that equation, apprentice ourselves to Jesus, follow him, equals heart change. But he said, but what does that even look like? Like, how do we do that? How does that work itself out? And he really challenged us to, to, to look at these things called the spiritual disciplines that throughout history and in the history of people following God have been these ways that people have really apprenticed themselves, attached themselves, gave themselves, give, gave themselves over and gave their allegiance to God. And the ones he listed were the spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible, prayer, worship, serving and being part of a community and for some of us we go okay i'm out right because those all sound really boring to some of us maybe we've been doing those for a long time and we feel like uh i'm kind of past that isn't that like little kid stuff little kid stuff no it's not we're going to get into that more today um But, so that gets us through nehemiah 5 and we're going to start in nehemiah 6 and what we're going to encounter here is more opposition Right? There's opposition from outside of Israel, and then there's some kind of sketchy uh, opposition that comes from the outside into the inside, and then it's trying to work its way out. Uh, the opposition comes from these four enemies. One is Sanballat, one is Tobiah, one is Geshem, and then the next one is just the rest of the enemies. I love when Scripture lists, it says like, and there are four, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and then the rest. Like this whole group is categorized into one enemy. And they are trying to arrange a meeting with Nehemiah, and they keep sending him these messages, come and meet with us. And Nehemiah's like, this is a distraction to me. Like, I'm not going to go do this. This is trying to pull me away. And at one point, it even says he senses there's some kind of a trap, right? And I want you to think of Admiral Akbar, like, it's a trap, right? Don't fall for that. Um, and at one point, these, uh, this crew of people who's trying to lure him away, they say, actually, you know what? You're trying to set up this rebellion. You're trying to set up this revolution, and you're going to try and take over, and you're going to appoint yourself as king, and we can see through your plan. And Nehemiah's like, you're absolutely making things up, right? That is so far away from the truth. Nothing like that. And so then he kind of moves on. We get a little break from, from that group, and Nehemiah encounters this person within the city named uh, Shemaiah. And Shemaiah says, Nehemiah, you got to be careful because there's people coming into the city and they're going to try and kill you. Come with me. Let's go hide in the temple and we can be safe from these people who are going to come at night and try to kill you. And Nehemiah says, no, who am I? Am I the kind of person who's going to, you know, try to hide and not finish this work that God has called me to do? Even though it may cost me my life, I'm still called to do this. And we find out that Shemaiah is actually getting paid by Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the rest of the enemies. Uh, and and it, so it's this kind of that group still influencing. Uh, and, and so he gets outed. Uh, but through all that, what I think is important to note is that the, 
level of commitment uh, and resolve that Nehemiah shows to this calling that he has, to this work that he's been called to. And he says, no, even if it costs me my life, right, I'm not going to give it up to go hide from people. Um, And I see through your plans. I see through your schemes. You're trying to distract me. I have to stay focused. And it made me ask myself, what am I committed to in that kind of way? Like, what do I have in my life that when something comes up and distracts me, I'm like, nope, I can't, I can't focus. I got to stay on the path. This is what God has called me to do. What do I have? And it made me want to to ask you all to think about what do you have that you're committed to in that kind of way? Because it's that level of commitment that allows uh, the wall to be finished. Right? And so we have this moment where, and it's, it's actually interesting because there's a lot of talk leading up to it about the wall being worked on and a whole chapter being dedicated almost to the people who worked on it. And then we just get this little bit and the wall was finished. Oh, that seems weird. Why isn't there a big party or a big celebration about the wall? Um, and we don't have that. What we have instead is chapter 7. Uh, and I'm going to read just a little bit of chapter 7, the first uh, 25 verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you'll get a feel for what, uh, for what it's like. Uh, after the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. Put in charge of Jerusalem, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother uh, Hanini along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and officials and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been there the first to return. This is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles from Nebuchadnezzar, king of Bab- uh, whom king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town, in company with Zerubbabel, uh, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, ne- uh, Nahamini, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mishpareth, Bigval, Nahum, and Baana. The list of the men of Israel, the descendants of Perosh, of Shephathiah, of Era, of Pahamoab, through the line of Jeshua and Joab, of Elam, of Zatu, of Zechiah, of Binuai, of Bebae, of Asgad, of Adonikam, of Bigvi, of Aden, of Atter, through Hezekiah, of Hashem, of Bezai, of Heref, of Gibeon. And we'll stop there. <laughs> okay, so that, now, what I want you to know Right, is I read that and I go, oh, it's another big long list of names. And Rich mentioned this earlier, where there's another big list of names. But it's not simply like a roll call. It's not simply a list of names. I have here the Articles of Incorporation for our church from 1983. And there's a list of names on here. Jeff Gates, Jim Hugel, Naomi Holmes, Wayne Holmes, Dan Picota, Steve Picota, Andrew Thompson, and Martin Weichart. It's not just a list of names. It's 
the people who represent God's vision for this church. It's the people who started this with this hope and this this vision and this dream of what could be and what God could do and was inviting them to do. And so I want to challenge you when you read through these lists of names. You don't have to do it every time, but just every now and then. Thoughtfully and slowly read through that. Identify them as people who God was moving through to bring us to where we're at Because what we find is that this isn't just about a wall. It's not just about a temple. It's not just about rebuilding some structures. But we're reminded what God sees as most important, which is a good reminder for us and I think for people everywhere, especially churches, that God doesn't love walls or buildings. But what God does love are people. What people? All people. How much? more than we can know. And there's 50,000 about of those people that are gathered in this story and they're wanting some people to do something. And in my mind, again, I was like, oh, this will be like after the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, we all went, a bunch of us went, and gathered to celebrate the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl. And so when they're done finishing the wall, they gather. And what I'm expecting is that they're going to want to celebrate the wall. There's going to be a lot of talk about the wall. But there isn't because they know that they're not defined by the wall. They're not defined by these structures. It's not their identity. It's not who they are. But then what? And I don't even know if they know. But what they do know is that there's this guy, Ezra, and Ezra knows the Torah. The first five books of the Old Testament that we have. It's, it's Israel's Bible at that time. And the people tell Ezra, bring the Torah out. We want to hear whatever that is. Maybe they remember it, maybe they don't. Maybe those stories have been lost to some of them, maybe they haven't, but they want to hear it. That's what they want. And so Ezra comes out and reads from 6 a.m. until noon. That's six hours. (laughs) Okay. Just checking. Um, And it says that he praised God, and the people went along with it, and they were saying amen and crying out, and they bowed their heads and worshiped because I think they were rediscovering who they were. See, Israel didn't stop at the wall or the temple, they were hungry for something more. So Ezra's reading this, and then we're told that, that, that Ezra and Nehemiah tell the people, don't weep. And I wonder if it's because, well, one reason it's because it's the seventh month, and that's the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And there are some scriptures that are attached to that where it says, be sure to make this a time of, of celebration, a time of, of, of joy. And, uh, and so I think that's part of it. But I also wonder if some of these people hadn't heard these stories, if some of these are new or maybe they'd been forgotten, and now they're hearing these things again, maybe they're moved a little bit. And maybe when you have 50,000 people, you have a little pack over here that someone starts crying or expressing emotion in their way, and then this one starts, and then over here it moves, and all of a sudden you have 50,000 people engaged with God's story, the good and the bad. That cycle we talked about earlier of of the people of God 
getting in with God and then running away from God. Just that constant, constant, constant. Have you ever had to apologize for something that you do repeatedly? Right? It hurts after a while. It hurts to go back and say, I'm sorry. I know I did that. It's the same thing I've been doing, and I know I did it again. And yet we encounter with God faithfulness. God saying, come on back to me. And so what we have is we have this gathered people, 50,000 about, who are being renewed. They have a new understanding, a new purpose, a new direction, new hope, a new heart, and maybe new life. And it comes through their engagement with God through this story they find in the Torah. And we're told that there's Ezra and these 12 guys. And they're up on this stand and and they're speaking out to the people as they read this story. It's the seventh month, the festival of tabernacles. They're at the water gate and you've got a group of people who we're told are wanting more. It's interesting if we flip way ahead in the Bible to John 7, we find another person in the seventh month teaching the law people saying how can this person teach with the authority that they have right it's this really interesting story about Jesus and he's hanging out with his brothers we don't get a lot of insight into Jesus's family but here's a good moment Uh, Jesus and his brothers and his brothers are saying look if you want to go do this Messiah thing, you got to stop with all the hardcore teaching you're doing about you got to eat my body and drink my blood. You're freaking people out. Go and do a bunch of miracles. That's what people want to see. If you want to get people, do that, do that heavy advertising. Push it on Facebook, show all the good stuff, and everyone will show up. Stop with all the crazy talk because people are going to think it's too difficult and they don't get it. And Jesus says, so they say, go to this festival and do that. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to go. You go. Um, but then like a a typical brother would, Jesus does go um, and shows up in the middle of the festival, starts teaching all the teachers of the law. Again, they're saying, man, how is this person teaching with the level of authority they have? It's amazing. Uh, They don't know where uh, he's come from, and and they're trying to figure it out. Um, And on the last day, uh, it, it says this in John 7, 37 through 39, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. It's interesting that in Nehemiah we have a group who's hungry for more. Being led and and, and engaged with by this guy, Ezra. Through the word, through the law, we have Jesus in the seventh month, same feast, engaging people, drawing them in and saying, if you're hungry for more, I'm what you're looking for. Come to me and and you'll have streams of water flowing out of you. You will never be thirsty again. In Nehemiah, Israel gathered back together rebuilding recentering 
And they had these buildings, they had these walls, but they were really recentering on God's presence and God's word. We encounter Jesus, who we're told is the word become flesh. We read things like, he says, I came to fulfill the law, not abolish it, to bring life, gathering people around himself, saying, follow me, I'm the one who's mastered life, do everything as I do. And one of the primary ways that we do this is to engage with Scripture. I was just so struck by that, that we have moments where Nehemiah is praying, but that this gathering around, this recentering, this time of weeping and then redirecting into renewal was done around their Scripture. It made me start to wonder, like, how do we engage with Scripture? Right? And I noticed that I don't bring this up here with me anymore until today. Because there's something different to me, maybe not for everyone, there's something different for me about holding this open, reading it, turning the pages. It's fantastic that we have it up on the screens, right? I love that. But there's also a distance it creates in my heart from, from this. Maybe I'm just getting old, I don't know. But, but it made me wonder, how do we engage with Scripture? And that I, I think a lot of us have actually strayed from scripture and and we've leaned more into things like podcasts uh, and, and people teaching on the word which is fine to listen to but I wonder if we've allowed that to replace our own personal engagement with the Bible and with God through his word and I wondered why and I remembered in in probably my one of my favorite books in the whole Bible is the book of Hebrews. This verse, Hebrews 4.12, talks about the word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and that it judges and discerns the thoughts and hearts of, of humans. And I was like, oh, that's why. I don't want that. I don't want to read scripture and have it tell me like, oh, when you feel this, that's probably because of this. Oh, I don't like that because it's probably going to tell me I need to change something or something I got to work on. So we've distanced ourselves and we go listen to podcasts because we can find podcasts of people who challenge us, but they challenge us in the things we already believe. They challenge us to go deeper into the things we already believe, which there's something really good about. But if we only do that, if we only let that speak to us, then aren't we just allowing the, the, the things we like to come into our ears? And it made me begin to wonder what would happen if we started to allow Scripture again to shape and form us, like Nehemiah, like Israel, because I think one of the things they discovered is even though they probably know in those moments it's not going to be perfect, this could happen again, but they're so full of hope and joy, right? Something changes. And I, and I have a video I want to show that I think kind of depicts this in a way, and there's some setup for it that I, that I want to tell you about um this is uh it's a song from a, a movie called the greatest showman uh but it's it's from uh the, what, what's called the green lighting process and so before the movie's approved they have to go in to the to the producers and the studio executives and all that stuff and they have to perform either the songs or give them some kind of idea that's going to make the company go oh yeah it's worth it to do this movie and so they're doing this um and and i this is one of the songs from that. And, and before it gets going, though, I want, I, there's some, uh, uh, some kind of 
uh, words that pop up on there that are about like, and this is from the greatest showman, and Hugh Jackman's so awesome, and this person, da-da-da. And, and I want you as much as possible to ignore those. And I want you to focus on, as much as you can, listening to the words if you don't know them, and watching the people. Because some amazing things happen as they go along. Uh, and so, uh, and I think that's everything I need to say. And then we'll get back to that in just a second. So, let's see if we can get that going there we go Benj and Justin have just written this new song called This Is Me and uh, we knew that it was going to be the anthem of the film um, but no one had heard it before and no one had heard Kiala sing it live a Kiala who I didn't even want to come out from behind the music stand. I didn't. I, I kept saying to her, just step out, because this is your moment, and you have to step out into the ring, metaphorically, because that's what you're doing, and you've got to stand right there in front of everyone and just belt this out. And I didn't want to. In fact, I stood behind that music stand yeah. until the day of that presentation. There was a moment in the song that I actually was so scared that I had to actually grab Hugh's hand so that I had somebody to hold on to. And then we got to the end of the number, and all I remember is just deafening, deafening applause. It was a sort of otherworldly experience. It was one of those moments that will stay with me the rest of my life. Unfortunately, we filmed it. I'm not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say. We don't want you broken parts. Learn to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. Yeah, pull it up, please. So what I, we'll get to the rest of it, but I want you to notice already, right, one of the things that, and I, and I can never remember her name. Does anyone remember the lead singer's name? Can you say it out loud? Sorry. Kiala. Kiala, when she steps out from behind the, the, the music stand, she does not look like she wants to do that. She's stepping out very reluctantly, very nervously, but kind of the sense of, okay, well, he told me, and here I am, and this, this part says, you know, I'm, I'm coming, I look out, and, and so she steps out, and then she turns, and remember, none of these other people have heard her sing this before. Benjamin. And she turns to the group, um, 
and, and she's, we can't see exactly what she's doing, but you can see some of the singers starting to respond to her being out there and being present. And they're starting to move and groove a little bit. And then right before the guy sings, you see her go, like, we need something right here, right? And the guy delivers. Like the guy, and you're going to see in a second, he just, he sets things off. And then it just begins to feed. Um, and, uh, and so I think we're probably pretty close. Talk amongst yourselves for just a moment. <laughs> right? Look at this. Oh. Oh. All right. What a change in the beginning from a person who's like, I didn't want to come out from behind that music stand to the turn at the end. This is me like, deal with it, right? This is, this is who I am, right? And, and there's a sense when we have a confidence in who we are, when we have a heart transformation, that we can say that. This is me. This is what Israel was discovering. This is who we are. We are the people of God. 
the people of the faithful God who renews and restores and brings new life and gives a new heart over and over and over again. I wonder if we'll have the same courage to allow the story of God to intersect our lives in a way that we would be changed. That we would be able to stand up and say, this is who I am. I'm a child of the Most High God. And He is faithful over and over and over again. What that would do in our lives and in our world. I have a couple of questions um, that I want to end with. Uh, If you have... um, your connection card you can write down your answers to these questions uh, and then it's a way for us to hear how you're responding and be able to pray with you Um, and then there's a challenge on there at the very end too the first one is how often do you engage with scripture I want you to hear this not as a guilt inducing thing but just a thing how often do you engage with scripture a few weeks ago Rich challenged us actually more than a few weeks but to, to just leave our Bibles open somewhere in our house right I did that and realized oh Except for work, lately I hadn't been engaging with Scripture much at all. So I left my Bible open, and every time I walked by, I'd stop, and I'd just read a little bit. Oh, it was amazing what that did, how it reoriented my heart, how it redirected my life and reshaped, and I could walk a little bit differently. Instead of feeling so timid, right, behind the music stand, I was able to kind of be like, no, this is me. Like, this is God intersecting in my life, and how does that impact the people around me? Right, so how often do you engage with Scripture? Secondly, do you need renewal of any kind? Do you need new hope? Do you need new vision? Do you need direction? Do you need just new scenery? Do you need new life energy? Do you need to hear words like, you are an overcomer. You are one who perseveres. Do you need any kind of renewal in your life? Yes or no? You don't even have to describe it. You can if you want. And then the last one is just a simple challenge. Will you commit to reading one chapter a day from the Bible up until Easter? Right? That's, that's what I want. And I want to encourage you, if you want to, you can jump around all over. But if you could, if you could pick like a book to start with, read a chapter a day. When you get to the end of that, that book, you can jump to another book if you want. Uh, something like that. But I want to ask you to commit to doing that. And then over time, as we're engaging with you and we're inviting more stories to be shared, uh, I'm hoping that we'll hear some things about how God's word is shaping us as we center Uh, center on it so let's pray um, and then we will uh, move into a time the worship team I'll invite you up uh, and the worship team is going to play instrumentally for a second if you want to write down your answers to those questions or just sit and reflect you can write other stuff on that connection card to get to us if you'd like Uh, they'll play instrumentally and then they'll lead us in a closing song God it's just Uh, a little bit mind-blowing to me, God, to think about, uh, even on something like reading Scripture, as I talk about it, I feel this mix of excitement and guilt all kind of rolling and swirling like I don't do it enough. Oh, it's so hard, and every time I go to it, I feel guilty. And at the same time, the hope of maybe it could be different, knowing it might not or probably won't or whatever, and feeling all those feelings, and yet in the midst of that, knowing that you are faithful. God, even in, in, in stuff like that, God, you are faithful to meet us. You're faithful to draw us in. You are faithful to be kind. God, and so so I pray we would have that sort of sense about your word. It wouldn't be seen as a, 
you know, oh, I didn't do that challenge today, so now I'm out, and I feel terrible, I'm a failure, but it would be like, oh, maybe today I had some other stuff going on, and God was drawing my attention in a different way, and that God's going to be okay with that. But is our heart directed towards that? Is our heart leaning into that? Are we putting that into practice? And I pray you would stir in us a desire to know you and that we would see your word as a legitimate place to spend time with you and to get to know you, to get to know who we are, to understand what it means to be one of your children, to be part of your creation. God, to understand that everyone, every single person has a key role in the work that you're doing to restore things. How we can care for it. all those things are all in there. So, God, I pray, I pray that we wouldn't lose that connection to your word. Um, yeah, so, God, just help us. Help us to, to have a good heart about this and to see your faithfulness and not see it as a, like a, like a fail success kind of thing, but this is a journey and a process and help us to take steps to move forward in it. Um, yeah, and I pray you would renew our minds and our hopes and our lives. Uh, through our engagement with you and your word. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.